You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. I'm John. And tonight we are looking at the 1971 film, The Omega Man, with Charlton Heston. Synopsis. Colonel Dr. Robert Neville is a man with a problem. He's the last man on Earth, roaming the deserted streets of Los Angeles. But if he's the last man on Earth, who is he shooting at? Taking solace in his solitude by taking in a movie, Neville lets time slip away from him. And as sunset looms, he rushes home to his bunker, where he is attacked by and successfully defends himself from albino Luddites. Yes, Neville spends his days in solitude and his nights being taunted and attacked by the scarred remnants of humanity. Through flashback, we learn that a 1975 Sino-Russian war led to the deployment of a bacteriological weapon that rapidly killed its victims. Neville, a researcher into a vaccine, found himself dying of the bacteria and in a desperate gamble injected himself with the latest experimental vaccine. He alone survived as human. While most of the people died almost instantly, a subset of them were afflicted with albinism and extreme light sensitivity. They die much slower, and many of them still exist now two years after the majority of the world died. They have formed into an anti-science cult called The Family, led by former newsman Matthias. Their goal is to build a new world, devoid of the technology that brought destruction on them, and personified by Neville, a creature of the wheel although they themselves actually seem to have no problem using wheels. They spend their nights burning books, destroying things and places of knowledge and science, and trying to kill Neville, whom they hope to kill for his sins. Neville spends his days seeking for the family's nest, where, if he finds it, he plans to destroy them all, because, you know, they're plague victims, and he needs to put them down like mad dogs. Speaking of mad dogs, it looks like Neville is cracking up, because one day, after two full years alone, he spies and chases a young woman. He loses her and is certain she was just a figment of his imagination. It rattles him and he lets his guard down. The family ambush him in a wine cellar and take him captive. He is tried, convicted, and sentenced to being burnt alive at Dodger Stadium. As the flames are about to be lit, the stadium lights, long dormant, spring to life, blinding the family. A young man, Dutch, not a figment of Neville's imagination, and Lisa the also not a figment of Neville's imagination, who he saw the other day, rescue him at gunpoint. Taken to a fortress in the Los Angeles hills, he discovers a small colony of children seemingly unaffected by the plague. But that is not actually the case. Some young people seem to have a natural resistance, but eventually they too will change. Lisa's younger brother, Richie, is turning, and Neville switches back into Dr. Scientist mode. He tells them that he is immune and that he may be able to synthesize a serum from his blood to reverse and cure the plague. Lisa accompanies Neville and Richie back to his bunkered home, which contains a laboratory. After weeks, he succeeds in reversing Richie's condition. Now there are two immune humans, and he can use both their blood to inoculate Lisa, Dutch, and the others. They plan to leave somewhere into the woods to start rebuilding. Richie's Young and stupid naivete and 
humanity kicks in, and he asks Neville if they shouldn't cure the family, too. They are, after all, just thinking, feeling, sentient human beings who are victim of the plague like everyone else. Neville says they're vermin, and they need to be put down. Next day, Lisa goes to collect supplies before leaving the big city, and Richie decides that the family deserve to know that there is now a cure, and they can return to normal. A laudable attitude, perhaps, but Richie doesn't understand religious fanaticism and does not realize that the family don't want the return to the old world. They think he was sent as a trap from Neville, so they kill him and go after Neville one last time. Neville finds a note Richie left and goes to rescue him. Lisa, returning late from foraging, suddenly transforms and starts following the mob heading towards Neville's home. Finding Richie dead, Neville returns home, having an epic battle to get inside, but he does, only to discover the now-transformed Lisa has let Matthias and the family in. They hold Neville and destroy his home, books, equipment, and art before planning to kill him. He's got one last escape in him, and he gets away, taking a bottle of his blood serum and Lisa with him, hoping to escape and cure her. Outside, Neville's gun jams, and Matthias hurls a spear into his chest. It is over. Now the family can sleep in peace. The next day, Dutch arrives with the kids to see the destruction. He finds Neville still dying. Neville hands Dutch the serum and the unresisting Lisa and dies. Dutch and the kids leave for the mountains. The end, or is it the beginning? The Omega Man. Good old Charlton Heston in this period. Never had a good ending, did he? No, not not, not based on this one. Definitely sure. Yeah, Definitely well, sure. Planet of the Apes was not a good ending. Beneath oh, the Planet true. of the Apes was an even worse ending. Soylent Green, not a good ending. No, um, no. No, he, uh, yeah. he he really liked those uh, dark dark finishes, I guess. So, uh, what what, do you, what are your thoughts on uh, the Omega Man? Um, you know, after watching the whole thing, I think this is the first time I've seen the the whole film all the way through. I think I've seen <laughs> that might be true for me too. I'm yeah. not sure. It, it this was one of those films that you've heard about it, and as soon as somebody says it's like The Last Man on Earth or I Am Legend, it's like, oh, okay. Well, I've I've seen that one, and mm-hmm. you know, go about your business. Yeah, I, it, I'm sure that it's been on on the World Beyond, which used to be the the Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon science fiction movie theater here in Phoenix back in the in the seventies. And yeah. I don't think I've ever sat through it in its entirety, but I've certainly seen the whole film in pieces. But I couldn't swear to it one way or the other, but this, I definitely sat down, watched the whole thing. Um, I had my preconceived notions and, you know, it's known as a bit of a stinker. Yeah. I think I saw a chunk of it back in the uh, late eighties at, Mm -hmm. in the the video room of a science fiction convention, like at four in the morning or something like that. Um, I, I have a sneaky suspicion. I may have been helping run that video room. You might have. Yeah. Because I one year that I did that, uh, we definitely had the Omega Man, which I didn't actually get a chance to watch, but we had a bunch of those in that in that era. That was kind yeah, of the theme. For some reason, I think I, I at the same night, I think in the same room, I also watched a um, oh, what's the guy who played Inspector Clouseau? Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers' film, The Party. I think that was also being shown in there. Hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, strange. That's, that's an odd one. Yeah. Exactly. I could be wrong. I don't know. It, it was quite a while back. But yeah. But um, this this movie, um, you know, maybe it was the uh, the style back then, or maybe it was a technical issue with the film stock. But it was a lot of the scenes seemed to be just kind of you know flatly lit for television, that sort of stuff. I, I feel like the director was a little bit uh, flat in this show. Well, yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. When did the Andromeda Strain come out? I don't know exactly. Um, it's about the same time, though. That's what I thought. And that movie was quite nice. That's, all right, uh, 1969. No, 1971. Same year. I'd say that's about the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That one? No. It it has a um, a much better look to it. I, I guess it's just the, uh, the, the cinematographer and the, you know, photography were more highly skilled than the ones on this film <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i don't think that's right I, you know, well here's the thing so having watched it through mm-hmm. for possibly the first time through from 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 beginning to end like i said i i know bits of it all through the way but i couldn't swear to i've seen it but sitting down and watching it knowing that it's supposed to be a stinker my recollection is it's a bit of a stinker i thought it was better than i thought I, I was, I was not like, oh yeah, this is just this is every bit as bad as I thought it was. It's not quite that. It's lackluster, but it it wasn't. I, my my um my strongest recollection of this film is him sitting in Woodstock reciting the lines. Really bored. That, yep, that that's my strongest scenes. recollection of this film, and really, that man. kind of sums up the huh. way I think of this film. Or or did think of this film. <laughs> this is kind of it's kind of like yeah, I'm watching it, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it's what's on, and you know his crucifixion at the end. But um, mm, yeah, yeah, I I didn't hate it. I I tell you what, um, you mentioned the Last Man on Earth, Vincent Price film, mm-hmm. also the uh, the novel I Am Legend, Richard Matheson, yes, which is the the quote unquote source material. I never saw the Vincent Price version until, I don't know, less than five years ago. Oh, really? And I saw that after I read the book. And the book is really good. I really like the book. It's, um, and and, it, uh, and the weird thing is, is that after, I, when I saw the Vincent Price version, I'm like, oh, like, you know, this is not bad. This is This is a lot more like the book than Omega Man. But apparently Matheson didn't like that one. And when it came to this one, he thought it would have bore so little resemblance to the source material that, eh, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. No point, no (laughs) point in commenting on it. It's, it's not really an adaptation of my book. It's so, it's so far off. So wandering into the spoilery territory for the book, Mm -hmm. I am legend. The, the, the premise there is that a, a, plague created vampires on earth and mm-hmm. neville i think it's neville in the in the book as well is the last man and i don't remember why he's the last man but he is he may very well have been a a, a researcher that gave him a injection or whatnot but they are vampires and they react to crosses or if they're jewish they react to the star of david and and he's he's conducting experiments on them 
trying to figure out what the heck is going on. Well, I mean, he's, he's, he's besieged by them at night and he's got to keep the generator going. And uh, at some point he finds a dog and he's really happy that he found a dog because he thought all mm-hmm. the dogs were dead. And right. uh, it, 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 you know, it, it's, it kind of follows the beats of this, except that he is actively participating in hunting them down and destroying them and also researching them, which could be amounted to torture. Um, yeah. I don't think I remember they can talk or not, but oh yeah, yeah, they definitely can. And at the end, he doesn't meet a good end as, as in this book, but the difference is at the end, he gets the perspective of the vampires. They are mankind. They mm-hmm. are the heir to this planet. They are the remnants of the human beings that you knew and loved. And they are all that is left of humanity. And during the, their night, when they are asleep, the horrifying monster comes into their homes <laughs> and murders them. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that he is the monster on this planet, not the vampires. And he is the legend. I am legend, hence the name. He's... <laughs> And then I think they kill him. But uh, <laughs> so that is really the key component of the book, which I've just utterly spoiled <laughs> Spoil for anybody who did not know that. But they've absolutely ruined that in this film. You know, that that's it's not that it isn't there, but it's like a throwaway line a quarter of the way through the film or something. Mm-hmm. And and then the decision by one of the screen writers who apparently had a degree in chemistry i think it was chemistry was that you know vampires that that doesn't seem too plausible i think i can fix this <laughs> and so uh we got we got what we got the albino human beings who uh, i yeah they're albino why they went with albinism is i have no idea why cheap maybe or they okay. wanted everyone to look the same I, I okay, I I think you've you've hit that in a piece right there um, that they wanted them to look the same. But I also think you know vampires are pasty white creatures of the night. Uh, True, so yes. I think they may have gone with that approach. I think it's a cheap makeup for them. Uh, it's so you know it, it may have been a budget saving technique, but you know they don't drink blood. They're they're not. The only reason they're monsters in air quotes is because they're religious fanatics, Mm -hmm. which I sort of completely forgotten about this film and is probably the most interesting part about it. It's like, all right, well, I can kind of maybe, I can maybe see a cult forming up of people who are against progress after progress wiped out the world. All right. We could go with that. I think that they don't become religious zealots. I think it's they're they become very easily suggestible because Matthias is definitely the one who is anti-world. And after right. after the uh, the incoming missiles are destroyed and it spreads the bacilli all across the country and the world, killing everybody, he well, I'm sure the disease helped, but he snapped and then blamed every, technology on everything. You know, and it now it should be destroyed because it destroyed everything. So it should, itself should be destroyed. Okay, let's let's go into it then. Let's mm-hmm. let's hit this. This is the part that 
does bother me about the film because I, I it's not that I'm opposed to that idea. And the right. fact that Matthias has formed a cult of these survivors mm-hmm. is, is fine. Okay. That's, that's a good, but does that mean there's many more of these survivors who do not subscribe to these theories? Are, are, is everyone in San Diego doing yeah, something it, completely different? Probably. And, <laughs> Probably. Then who knows? Why? Maybe there's a cult of cult of them who are are uh, you know trying to rebuild the place, or maybe there's a cult that uh, just walk east. I don't. I, don't, I have no idea. I, I, I would be. I would be fine with all that, and then they ruin it when Lisa turns. Her okay. personality changes. Her, she, you know, when right, when right. she turns him over to to Matthias. She's like, oh, you don't understand. It's like, what? what is it that this virus did to her brain that well, made her just immediately go in on it and open to suggestibility? Maybe? Yeah. I don't yeah, know. I think so. I, but, I think but, just because of her churning and then, and then, you know, just dropping her groceries and, and joining back up with the family. But that's not being part of being suggestible. I, I, I could see it if she'd been captured by Matthias and Matthias then gave her a speech and she's like, Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. You are totally right. But the way she acts, it's almost like this is the program thought process that, that she has to, Hmm. to join the community and do. And I, I, I just, I think they fail at that level. uh, And then the other thing, the other thing that's, that is interesting and they fail utterly to do anything with it other than give it lip service is two things actually. Uh, and they all pertain to Zachary. Okay. Uh, the first right. is, oh, living up there in his honky paradise. And Matthias dresses him down for hanging on to the prejudices of race. Right. Basically. Because Zachary was obviously African-American. And Matthias is obviously Anthony Zerby, who is as white as it gets. And he, you know, so your comment about making them all look alike that's gone, right? The, 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 the color of your skin is gone. And that may mm-hmm. be the point of going that route. Kind of like uh, what was uh, uh, Ursula Le Guin, Lathe of Heaven? Yes. Eliminate of prejudice. Heaven. Eliminate yep. prejudice in the gray. world in gray. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that was intended, but you get that one line and then, and then they, we drop it. But what it shows is that Zachary is not entirely under the thrall of Matthias. And when Zachary, which I omitted from the, 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 the synopsis, because eh, who cares? He was just an attack on him. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it's it, just, uh, I, it, it's an action character. Piece. His character could have been, um, could have been flushed out better. He other took than, a gun. Exactly. Exactly. He took a gun. He hid a gun. Exact, he hid he a gun hid from a Matthias. Gun. Mm-hmm. And that is obviously, therefore, they are not all just locked into we do what the family says. They do have opinion. There are divisions in this society. And that could have been fascinating, too. The idea, further exploring the concept of of these aren't just people, right? I don't know why. Not only does, does Neville kill them without regard for the fact that, you know, one of these people could be somebody he knew, like Lisa, or, you know, a family member or something that, and they would remember him and they, 
they are the people they were. They're just afflicted with a disease. Right. And he is he is slaughtering. They're not drinking the blood of people, as far as we can tell, because they eat sardines out of cans and yes. throw their garbage neatly away in the in the trash containers and whatnot. And mm-hmm. they're just sick people. And he's nope, not gonna help them. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm gonna do everything I can to wipe them out of existence. It doesn't, it, it it has a whole bunch of ideas that it could put on the table. And, you know, they have a conversation with Richie about that a, a little bit. And then they just don't, they don't land. Right. And Neville, Neville actually never makes a case why he was killing them. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't, he, he. Yeah, they want to kill him. Part- okay, that's fine. Right. But yes. just freaking drive to San Diego. Well, he doesn't want to leave his house. Which is stupid, but stupid. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Just um, drive to San Diego, dude. I mean, I you get know, that I, you have a. Would he have a problem if he drove? Let's just say, if he drove to San Diego, how long would it be before the 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 albinos living there started trying to kill him, if at all? Because they they obviously didn't. We have the sequence where Lisa and Richie say they were part of the family in their human form uh-huh. before, before they started trying to. Right. Right. So weird. So, so it, yeah, it looks like he... that, that after the, the army failed, um, there were still people who were not completely afflicted with the disease, still walking around trying to, you know, eke out an existence. Mm-hmm. Matthias comes by with his bell at night and starts calling everybody out, calling, I'm going to guess the, uh, non-turned and the turned the same um Mm -hmm. just that i would think that if you could have people who are turned and people who are still non-turned existing together they're not uh inherently aggressive to one another um it's just the actions of matthias kind of whipped him into a frenzy because he wanted a cult exactly yeah he thought that was the only way that he could he could destroy the remnants of the evil world which killed everybody or most everybody how how does how does Neville even know that South America has experienced this virus yet? I mean, well, I would think that he would just have a radio. There's electricity maybe. just flowing through the city with no problem in most parts, apparently. I, I'm guessing that the stadium had some sort of generator, but yeah, I, oh, I love okay, how they no. they completely I yeah. I was like, how the hell completely, did you? Ah, Dutch is he's the expert. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> so he's the whiz kid <laughs> with his stuff. So okay, there you go. Um, yeah, I, th- there's so much about this. It's like, yeah, I'm just not leaving my house. It's like, really, really? <laughs> I, I mean, I can, I can, okay. He's got the generator. He's got the fortifications. He's got the, the cages and all that stuff. So he has got a good setup. And if you work on the premise that all albino mutants everywhere will try to kill him every night, then yes, I can see how you might hunker down somewhere safe mm-hmm. because, how far can you get and can you build your fortifications up before it's too late? That I don't know, which in a world of vampires, all of them will be coming for you because you're food. But in this world, right. they're plague victims. <laughs> like uh, how many right. doctors not really... turned into albinos are running hospitals right now trying to solve this problem? Yeah, good you know, point. I don't think about researchers that. Exactly. That, that are, like, well, I was a virologist and uh, I'm still a virologist. And uh, 
Yes, like all life. of the albinos are going to die. Well, I think we get the impression there that they all succumb to the plague eventually because mm-hmm. we see the one and he says it, but it, it just, yeah, <clears throat> it's, there's a lot of holes in this one uh, that, yeah, that <laughs> could have been, it could have been a good film. And, you know, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the Will Smith version. Um, I have another no desire to see the I Will Smith I think I've seen, I think I've seen it. Yeah. It's essentially Omega Man, um, but it, there's more well, I Am Legend thrown zombies? in there. Is it uh, zombies? No, they're they're yeah, vampires. Albinos? They're vampires. Okay. They're vampires. But uh, at the end, the, it stays true to the the book from what I vaguely remember. Yeah, I might watch it someday. I have a. Do you I know if a... uh, if Charlton Heston have anything to do with the the writing of this? I no. No indication of that. I think uh, I think I might have read something that he had a quip or two, but that that was that was if anything uh, it. And the and <laughs> apparently the crucifixion at the end was accidental. Although yeah. I'm still thinking Chuck Heston intentionally did that. Yeah, I uh, think so too. <laughs> I'll I'll lie down in the piss position with my legs crossed and the arms spread out like that because you know. I've been right. Jesus. I mean, I've been Moses. Now I'll be Jesus. Um, exactly. Yeah, I just uh, looked at the synopsis for the the Will Smith I Am Legend. No, sorry. <laughs> it's not quite like the ending of the book. Never mind. He saves the world. Uh, don't, don't tell me. <laughs> yep. Now you can you me. can find it when you watch it, if you ever do. Yeah, if I ever watch it. Yeah. I was, I was on a Will Smith uh, uh, dislike to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, those listening in the future, a couple of days ago, Will Smith um, smacked a guy smacked on yeah. in, in some places live TV at the Oscars. Uh, Chris Rock, I believe, yeah, yeah. walloped <laughs> because there was a joke in poor taste, take, and well, somebody wasn't man enough to take it. Yeah, it wasn't his wife. I, I'm not defending it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I. I <laughs> people do poor act taste weird. all around. It's definitely, it was, it was definitely in poor taste all around. But I, I, ever since Will Smith ruined the Wild Wild West, uh, oh, I know that's right. His you, life. You, you don't forget it. The man cannot act. How the hell did he get an Oscar? I don't know. Don't know. I don't go out looking for his movies. So that's like freaking giving Roger Moore an act an Oscar for best actor. <laughs> okay, point. I like Good Roger point. Moore. I enjoy Roger Moore films. It's a journeyman but actor. Wooden is not Oscar He's candidate. Yes. No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So at one point, Matthias and the family have been going out burning the dead and, and you know, things like that, burying mm-hmm. them. And they haven't done a very good job because there are bodies everywhere. Well, you know, even in the 70s, there are quite a few people in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. There's a lot was, of was, to be done. And after a while, you just say, you know what? We got rid of most of the people on the streets. Let's call it a night. <laughs> it's yeah. Sun's gonna be up soon. Let's uh, let's kind yeah, of yeah. Somebody uh, digging. I th- they did a pretty good job with the deserted Los Angeles. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm always amazed how they can take a a, a major metropolitan city and shoot it in such a way that it looks desolate. <laughs> I, I understand that that if you're watching closely, there are a few people and cars that do pop up in in some of the shots i mm-hmm. 
didn't see them. I can't say that I, I think was I saw a car driving in the corner, like way off on the left on the top. But yeah, you really well, you have to. What's funny look about for that? It. You know what's funny about that? Even hmm. if, even if it were, uh, you know, it's it's an accident. I'm sure it's an accident. But given the way the film ends up, that could have been Dutch driving a car. Oh yeah, off in the distance. You know, he wouldn't yeah. see him. They're 25 blocks away in a helicopter shot, and you see a car driving along down the way. It's like, well, well, Heston wouldn't have seen it. He could have been on the next block over, and he wouldn't have seen another car. He doesn't, you know, just because he hasn't actually bumped into a person in two years doesn't mean that there aren't actually people walking the streets during the day or or driving around. But, yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it was pretty effective. And, of course, you know, now it would be much harder to shoot Los Angeles uh with nobody in it, but it'd be much easier to digitally remove them too. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. They, you, they you could fix this film if there are any, <laughs> any goose, you know, just whoop. yeah. Get the eraser tool yeah. out and, and that's done. Fixed digital enhanced version, new special yeah. effects. <laughs> yeah. oh. oh, I appreciate, I think the fact that it's not our fault. Am I right here? Or, um, and, and we didn't we didn't launch the bacterial no plague. no yeah we we did not it was a um russian chinese conflict that mm-hmm. exploded into biological war well what was the what was the scene where they said don't intercept the missile it'll spread it out yeah. who it's was a voiceover that? it's i think it was a, a voiceover um but i'm not sure who is doing the intercepting i'm guessing that Maybe it was one of those things where, you know, in, in the seventies, it would have been, I I think the idea of a a limited nuclear exchange was kind of uh, not thought of. You just uh, move the, move the slider to everything and then hit the red button and launch them all. And even the ones coming into the U S airspace would be, uh, uh, you know, there'd be missiles in the U S airspace landing in our cities. Um, But also, I'm sure the the writers for this didn't really think that all the way through uh, because it just would have been on the other side of the planet and it wouldn't have immediately affected us. I mean, granted, there would have been wind. It eventually would have got, come to us, but it would have been quite a while. Well, that's my point, though. Then is South America fine? You know, is yeah, it, it took maybe. Argentina... Everybody's like, well, I wonder why we lost all radio communication with everywhere else in the world. Exactly. But, hey. It'd be like the, the book On the Beach by Neville yeah. Shook. Yeah, exactly. Where, you know, the bands of radiation just continue to uh, progress um, um, you know, closer and closer to the South Pole. Uh, you know, people in Australia just kind of calmly accept that, well, we're next. You know, we've lost contact yeah. with the northern part of the country and, you know, there's only a few days left. You know, oh, yeah. oh boy, that's a depressing book and movie. I'll tell you that. Whew. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's not a happy bit of film. Wow. Mm. They, they liked that in the seventies. They were big on that. And said, <laughs> but that, that was a bad film for the seven year old me to see on PBS late at one night. <laughs> I can see how that might've been. <laughs> Had some questions from the parents. Yeah. But but deviating back to the thought, like I said, it's oh, nice, sure. and you wouldn't you wouldn't see this anymore where we aren't the bad guys. No, oh, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it's definitely the Russians and the Chinese that 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 did this. And oh, sure. We are the we are the the 
innocent casualty, or it appears to be that we're the innocent casualty. Yes. And, you know, the idea that, oh, don't intercept the missile, otherwise it will spread in the atmosphere. It's like, what do you think the point of a bacteriological weapon missile is? It's going what? to spread that wherever it lands. It's still going to do it. So Right, but I think the idea was is that it would be uh, exploding near the ground, so it would not, not as much would get kicked up into the jet stream and circulated around the planet. Is that how you would program your bacteriological i don't know i mean i if, really don't know oh uh, well um uh, yeah you'd you'd you want an air burst that's for damn sure you'd want to make your weapons uh be destructive where you want them to be destructive and not have uh inverted casualties like if the wind changes and blows towards your country hmm. <laughs> thus biological weapons are not a good idea <laughs> Oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, same, and so if it was the Russians, like it wasn't the Chinese. What wasn't the Chinese unleashing a pandemic on the world, huh? This time it's the Russians. Not, well, yeah. So not, not in this yeah. not in this movie, no. Well, we don't know. It, it might have been the Russians. Actually, it might have been the, been the don't know. Chinese, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um one thing about this film that stands out as a gross and and hideous remnant of the early nineteen seventies is that they managed to make this a black exploitation film. Um, a bit, a, a bit. bit, yes, a bit. Um, she certainly comes off a lot more shaft <laughs> in the oh, first sequences with a right, and it's like, oh, yeah, bust your ass, and yeah, so, and then then she mellows out on that, mm-hmm. and it, but she's not a very good actress either. Chuck yeah. Hitson isn't great either, so let's let's be fair here. In the, at least he's famous and he gets parts, but you know, yeah. but it just yeah, I, they were they, definitely trying to cash in on that. Yeah, they didn't really have the A team working on the uh, on the whole thing in front or behind the uh, camera. <laughs> you have to ask yourself this question, and and. Maybe you don't have to ask yourself this question, but I have to ask myself this question. In all of Los Angeles, Neville couldn't find a different film than Woodstock. Maybe and more importantly, it. more importantly, he couldn't find a porn theater. Well, maybe he found those too, but eventually all the films broke. Luckily, I think you liked Woodstock. That. I think you liked Woodstock because there are simply a lot of people in it. That could be it. Maybe he's watching the crowd. Crowds. I think that's a big part of it. That could be it. That could be it. I mean, he obviously is very um, jaded and cynical about the message of Woodstock. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, which you know makes perfect sense, (laughs) given the circumstances. But yeah, you're right. I I do. I did briefly think when I saw that shot of the crowd. It's like maybe he's watching this because of because it's got a lot of people in it. Yep, um, I think that's why he likes it. Such an awful film. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it all the way through, so like, another one like of those. This, where yeah. I've seen uh, probably more of it from documentaries mm-hmm. right. on the era than uh, actually seen the film. Mm-hmm. Um, eight track tape. Ooh, that's stylish. Ooh. Yeah, it was. Oh, you know what shocked the heck out of me when the, the credits rolled on this one? Mm-hmm. Music by Ron Grainer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't think I need to tell listeners of this podcast. Ron Grainer is the theme from Doctor Who. Yep. 
The Prisoner. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the incidental music. Did some movies like To Sir With Love. He did quite a lot of stuff. Um, Mouse on the Moon. Um, and, and you know, knowing that when I listened to it, like, yeah, I can hear The Prisoner. I, I can kind of hear The Prisoner in here. Not not the, the, the specific themes, but kind of the, I don't know, the mood or something. There, there is a, uh, and I am talking about the incidental music, not necessarily the theme oh, yeah. song, but uh, yeah, uh, it, yeah. It, it has a flavor. Yeah, it, it, is a, it sounds like leisure music to me. I don't know why. And if there's a class yes. that's, yes. I'm not a huge fan of that. Now, however, I like the Doctor Who theme and the Prisoner theme is excellent. And even the, you know, the some of the, the incidental music in the Prisoner is still pretty good. Mm-hmm. But the, I don't think I'd go out and buy the I the, the score for this. In no, fact, no, if somebody wouldn't. gave me the the a DVD of the the music from Omega Pan, I would, you know, I would have to force myself to smile and say, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're more yeah. like, "Oh, thank you." I think, although although there is one theme in the film that has earwormed me for days. And that's a which they play all the freaking time. But yeah, you it, know what? It has earwormed me. Yeah. Not me. Not yeah. me. Just and not because I liked one it. One not the other. Not because I liked it. Um, oddly enough, I don't know if it's oddly enough. When he gets in the car and he plays music and he puts the A track in, it's a theme from a summer place. <laughs> Which is not by Rung Brainer. It's by the the magnificent Max Steiner, uh, who is uh, one of the legendary. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I just I'll throw this out there since we brought the name up: King Kong Gone with a Wind, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and so many more. The yeah. the master of the leap motif. It's like yeah, I get. I I was I when I heard the music, I I I knew it was Summer Place, and I thought. Oh, is this going to be just like in The Invisible Man where Henry Mancini slipped one of his his themes in as the piano music going on at a party or something because he had the rights to it or whatever? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but it was. Yeah, I thought that was, was good. He did that. It was completely, you know, somebody else's music. And I thought, that's I, that's kind of odd. I, you know, it, this is not a film that has a lot of cultural touchstones like a modern show where they're like, pop-up pop music or something it's just a very short scene he pops in it It could have been any instrumental music that they had composed and yet they picked theme from a summer place yeah i i which (laughs) i was like why maybe ron craner loves max steiner i don't know but it, it just it was one of those things um shout out to the other doctor who connection here i'm pretty sure at one point um uh, Neville was wearing John Pertwee's outfit. Oh, that green, uh, green velvet, velvet jacket? and the rough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh man, that's. <laughs> Did people actually? Yeah, I like dress to dress like for dinner on sixties. I thought. I sixties. I, I thought. Well, that was. You know, this is. How do I put this? You see things like that in British movies mm-hmm. of. <laughs> Like I, I, want, I don't want to say the mods and the rockers, but in other words, disaffected youth in the '60s who dress in these very highly stylized ways. Like they will, 
they will be in something velvet with a ruff and then they'll be wearing long hair, big mustache and, and gigantic round <laughs> rose colored glasses. They're looking like, like, uh, Roger yeah, I wonder Stone, what TV show right? that could be from. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I can think of several that, that you, you would see that. In. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have no I've, clue I've if that's real of too. I always kind of figured it was actually the way they did that, or is that an affectation that 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 they would just have people wearing these things because it was like um, oh Austin Powers? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I or it it was just a uh, um, certain class of of people that would. I don't know. I don't even know what you call that. It's it's hard looking at things like when you see a scene from somebody at a at a a a go go club. Mm -hmm. Right in, in Britain, Go Go Club in the '60s, and they're all wearing weird stuff like Austin Powers and this. And you go, "Is that really what it looked like in a Go Go Club?" And <laughs> it's like, yeah, and and if it is, then okay, it's a possibility that Charlton Heston could find those clothes somewhere in a clothing shop and go, "Yeah, why not?" It's gonna get a touch of elegance <laughs> for dinner yeah, exactly. on Sunday. Yeah, sure, sure, that'll work. <laughs> As opposed to being in the Edwardian costume store. Oh, late Victorian, early Edwardian. Yeah, it's looked good. I, I, mm-hmm. Um, what else have we got, if anything, on this? Uh, Rosalind Cash played uh, John Emdahl in Booker of Banzai. That is a film I've never actually watched. Really? Oh, it's a good film. It's a fun. It's just never been at the right time at the right place on that one. Oh, yeah. I should, guess you maybe should we should add it to the list. Oh, yeah, well, that would be a good one to watch. Actually, I'm. That's actually one of my favorite films. That's on. I will actually leave the the TV playing it. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know that I have anything else. I mean, I I don't think this film did very well. Not just that it was a. St- I I read some of the reviews. Wow, they yeah, were kind of panned. Not. Uh... Oh yeah. Siskel and Ebert gave it a, and they weren't even working together at the time. You know. <laughs> it was <laughs> the film that uh... brought them together. It did. Maybe that's it. Maybe. Uh, the Wikipedia page doesn't doesn't show what the cost was to produce it. Just that the box office was four million bucks. Yeah, that's that doesn't sound like a lot, but then that's nineteen seventy one dollars. So yeah, I'm thinking that, that it's just because Charlton Heston was in it that had to be in it. That would be a draw. Yeah, that would be a draw. Let's see. Did he make? Let's see. Uh, Planet of the Apes. That was before this, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And I think Soylent Green is after this. Right, that's 73. I know that. Okay. Did he make a lot of films after that? Heston? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, he was in a couple uh, a couple things. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> I think so. Oh, I, you know, we should mention, we should mention, uh, this is one of the very first interracial kisses on oh, that's movies. That's true, yes. Yes. Um, which is frequently held up as the highlight of this film in terms of why this film should be remembered because uh, mm. of that. Yeah, generally that doesn't say good things about the actual story or the acting. <laughs> yeah. Now, there is a scene. Uh, I don't know if you noticed this. Uh, if you look at the end credits, one of the one of the credits is Woman in Crypt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not in the film. Yep. Scene cut. So mm-hmm. when Lisa is out foraging for food before she turns, she goes to visit her parents' grave because she's pregnant. And 
she's uh, troubled or wants to talk to her parents before they leave forever, or, you know, whatever. Right. And she apparently finds uh, one of the mutant women bringing her dead baby to the, the graveyard, to a crypt, and she doesn't kill her mm-hmm. because, you know, she's, she's a mom and she's grieving over her child. And again, you're throwing up a sequence here that shows that these people are human. Yeah. Which I think that would have, well, it would have caused problems with the rest of the movie if they would have had those scenes in there. <laughs> it's, it's quite, it's quite possible. Yeah. And it really oh, and, and, wouldn't have shown Neville in a good light. No, no, it wouldn't have shown Neville in a good light. And, and I failed to mention this when we were talking about his genocidal slaughtering of these people. Remember what he, when Dutch was telling him about how people turn, he says sometimes they turn almost instantly. Mm-hmm. He says, I was looking at my friend and he had just a little bit of pigmentation and I turned around, and when I looked back, he had gone completely. Well, he had no eyes. That's what he said. Yeah, he had, he had no, no eyes. eyes. That was what he said. He had no eyes. And Neville says, what did you do? And he said, I did exactly what you'd do. Yeah. So Dutch is apparently going to shoot him dead the second they turn to. Yeah. Why? Well, get it. It's not the second they turn because, you know, he, he didn't they, kill Richie. Richie wasn't there, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Um, maybe I don't. Well, maybe maybe the, he would have once Richie's eyes went. But why? I don't. I don't get it. Never explained. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's it. That's it for me. Yeah, I don't really don't have anything else in here. A, an interesting bit of uh, cultural oh, yeah. baggage before Star Wars changed everything. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I didn't notice that they, the virus must have killed off most animals as well if not all animals, because we never see birds. It's pretty clear there's no rats or other foraging creatures or carrion uh, because the bodies are just, you know, left lying on a, a bed in a building with the doors open. And yeah. They're not disturbed in any way. I suspect that's more for dramatic effect than it is any kind of realistic uh, uh, thought given to, oh, yeah, all the animals would be dead, too. Yeah, I suspect it's just, hey, that'd look cool with the bodies all over the place. Right, right. And if, if yeah, that is need a dog. Yes, I, I would think that if there were animals left, he would have had a dog at least for early warning that there was somebody around. Good point. Good point. But I think in the I think in the book I think in the book the dogs were eaten by the vampires too. Oh, uh, okay. I think were drained. Or whatever the case may be, but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, I don't know what we're going to look at next mm. when we look at another movie, but uh, but when we do, it'll be a movie. Yes, shot on film. Maybe 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 even Buckaroo Bonsai. I don't know. Oh, it that would be. Cool. We are definitely doing Soylent Green, so I know that's oh, there we go. coming. Cause... Definitely not next because I don't know if I can handle two uh, Charlton Heston films back to back like that. All right, maybe we won't do that one next. All right. (laughs) John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. And listeners, I hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. 
If you've enjoyed this episode of Fusion Patrol, we hope you'll consider supporting us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol or buymeacoffee.com slash fusion patrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently doing a special series on Season 2 of Babylon 5. There's over a decade of previous episodes available at FusionPatrol.com. Come join the conversation on our website or Twitter. You can also find some of our other works at SoundCloud.com slash FusionPatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. Next time on Fusion Patrol, we'll be looking at the Bugs episode, Bugged Wheat. And we discuss how far futuristic shows should project from the present and, coincidentally, where electric bolt guns fit with extrapolating the progression of genetic engineering. We discuss baddies in Bugs and which we would and wouldn't like to come back. And somehow we end up exploring British and American naming conventions. Please come join the conversation on Fusion Patrol.